0: Welcome to the Owls on Culture podcast, where two generations of owls, Michael the dad, me, and Hank the son, discuss the latest in movies, plays, books, video games, and more. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Owls on Culture podcast. I'm your co-host, Michael Owl, and I am here with... Hank Owl. Hank Owl, what are we talking about today?
1: Today we're talking about Zack Snyder's Justice League. It's a movie we've brought up several times before on this podcast sometimes to make fun of it. Sometimes to be excited for it, but the point is, we're talking about it now on this podcast. It's finally here! Yes, and later on we will be talking about it with a special guest.
0: That's right! Who is that special guest? We are bringing in Kevin Morrow, who is a writer and also the co-host of the Comics Canon podcast. And the format of that podcast is where they take stories, uh, old and new, from comics, and they ask the burning question of... Yeah, it's good, but how good is it really? And does it belong in the great body of works known as the comics canon? So Kevin will join us later in the podcast to make us all a lot smarter. Yes,
1: if you listen to our WandaVision podcasts, you know that we we don't know anything (laughs) about comic books, so it'd be nice to talk to someone who does. And also, if you're interested in listening to other people talk about the Justice League the next storyline they're covering on the Comics Canon is the Justice League International, so I would suggest subscribing to their podcast to listen to that.
0: And we will put a link to their podcast in the show notes. Yes.
1: Uh, he won't. He's not with us right now, but maybe if we say his name five times, he'll appear.
0: <laughs> I get that reference. I wonder if the audience does. Uh, explain that one.
1: Uh, yes, so it's a reference to uh, saying, saying Candyman five times mm-hmm. in the mirror, and having Candyman appear. That's the only thing I know about uh, Candyman. But, uh, but besides the fact that a reboot pseudo-spiritual sequel is coming this year.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting uh, way to phrase that, that, that they're using, that spiritual sequel. So it's not, I guess... Well, that,
1: that's what the IMDb describes it as. So I, I don't know if it's connected to the first movie or just uses the same concept.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure, sure either, but I'm movie. I'm
1: intrigued. It's going to be directed by uh, Nia DaCosta, who's doing uh, the second Captain Marvel movie. Oh, very cool! And it's be co-written by Jordan Peele.
0: Oh wow! All right, so that's those are good signs right there. I saw the first one, and I really liked it. Actually, it's in, uh, it in
1: 1992. The first one came out.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I remember this Candyman actually came up recently in our lives. I guess, beforehand, where you, you were sure that it was three times. <laughs> yeah,
0: I was positive. Which does
1: seem like five times seems a little too much. Candyman, 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 Candyman. Oh, my gosh. He just appeared.
0: Run, <laughs> run. Thank, thank goodness you were not in front of a mirror, which I think, I think that's a necessary part of it. At least that's what they always did in the movie. So maybe that's, maybe that's, uh, maybe we're just very lucky. Of course, I'm wearing glasses, and you could see your reflection probably. Lo- I don't just be careful is what I'm saying. Yes. As your dad. Be careful.
1: How many movies have there been that's like Like the Bloody Mary? Was that based on a movie? Like the the teens doing things in front of a mirror.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I think it's a pretty like common kind of urban legend, do you know? And I don't know if like it's like across like cultural societies or anything, but uh I think what would be cool about this movie is that it's you know gonna double down on Kind of the African American urban experience and what's going on uh, with racial justice. Uh, I don't know. It's going to be a really cool movie. I think it's going to combine the horror elements and social commentary, much like um, uh, Get Out did. I imagine, or at least I hope. You know, that's a high bar to to give it, but uh, I'm excited.
1: Oh yeah, and it stars Yahya Abdul Mateen II, who we just recently saw in Seven. Darn good movie. And Watchmen, but that was less recent. <laughs> yeah. I guess Travel Show 7 wasn't that recent, Nick coming out, but we watched it recently. <laughs> That's right. Reason for us. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's new to you.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: And also, the female leading this will be Tiana Paris, who we just spent nine podcasts talking about in WandaVision.
0: Yay, WandaVision. We miss you, Wanda. We do. But what are we talking about now?
1: Now, we are talking about Zack Snyder's Justice League. It it is Zack Snyder's definitive director's cut of Justice League. Determined to ensure Superman's ultimate sacrifice was not in vain, Bruce Wayne aligns forces with Diana Prince with plans to recruit a team of metahumans to protect the world from an approaching threat of catastrophic proportions. It stars Henry Cavill as Superman... Ben Affleck as Batman, Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, and Amy Adams as Lois Lane. It is directed, obviously, by Zack Snyder. (laughs) Uh, The story is by Zack Snyder. Chris Terrio and Will Beale. the screenplay itself, is written by Chris Terrio, and Superman was created by
0: Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster.
1: What did you think of this movie?
0: I thought it was long. I thought it was good. I thought... The opening uh, image of the 4 to 3 ra- aspect ratio was hilarious, and I'm really glad we saw it. Can you explain why it's hilarious? It's hilarious because it's, uh, it, the very first thing that pops up is basically a phrase, and this is going to be a paraphrasing of it, but you know, in order to uh, maintain Zack Snyder's artistic integrity or vision, we're showing this movie in a 4 to 3 aspect ratio. Which is kind of looks awkward on at least on our TV, but you got used. I got used to it pretty quickly, and also I think you told me that maybe it wasn't even four to three. Yes, that (laughs) that, that is what I've heard. That
1: they are wrong. That the aspect ratio isn't actually four to three. It's like it's got a lot of other numbers.
0: And I guess they were worried that people would, if they didn't have that announcement, people would start like banging the side of their TV like, oh, this image isn't right. You know, like, kind of Do thing. not change your screen. Right. So probably they did it. It just felt a little, uh, for a movie that's been really, really hyped for a really long time and had this grassroots thing, it felt like a weird way to start for me. Again, I thought it was kind of pretentious, but hey, what do I know? <laughs> Uh but I liked the movie. Uh it was 4 hours long, but I kind of dug that. I don't mind that. I like long movies. I like being kind of immersed in a world, especially a world like, you know, like DC Comics, you know. Detective Comics Comics. Uh <laughs> like in the world of DC. So it was a lot of fun for me. I enjoyed it. What did you think?
1: Uh the way I'm going to kind of describe what I liked and disliked about it and it's kind of and this would be expected. This is most of the conversation around it. How it is different and how it has changed and how it is better, because I think it is much better. I mean, being better than the theatrical cut of Justice League, which has all the Joss Whedon rewrites, is not a very low bar. But it jumps high, high over it. And I think one of the major improvements it makes, and this goes along with the long length, is that it does a lot more for the character's backstory, especially with the character of Cyborg. Cyborg is one of the major characters in this this version of the movie, and he's one of the kind of minor ones in the theatrical Justice League. So I feel like, even if I'm not the world's hugest fan of this movie, I don't love it, but uh, I definitely felt more for the characters than I did. And partly it is just runtime. We've spent more time with them, and also because of the specific decisions and showing more of the backstory. Characters I think Wonder Woman Batman's backstory is pretty similar in this movie. I think well probably because those are the ones that are set up by previous movies. But uh Flash, we got some more with Flash, we got a lot more with Cyborg, a little bit more with Aquaman, it's kind of the same.
0: Yeah, this really does feel like a different movie. This is not a um one of those deals maybe kinda of with the Blade Runners or whatever. There's smaller differences in some of the different versions. This is This is, again, two hours, twice as long and really does feel different and there's major, major changes and I think going through some of the changes is a good way to do it.
1: Uh, Yes, and also just while we're talking about characters, Steppenwolf, one of the main problems with the first one that I and a lot of other people had is that Steppenwolf was just a poor villain. He, He didn't really have any motivations behind him he was kind of, I don't know. He felt like just like a a placeholder villain, and that is different in here. We we actually get some uh, some more backstory for him as a character. Besides the redesign, I, I I didn't think the first theatrical Justice League version of Steppenwolf was terrible, but they did uh, redesign him here, and he does he does look better. And kind of all this better. all this character stuff, kind of it just makes the ending more epic. Because we actually care for the people involved. And the ending of the theatrical Justice League was one of my main, main problems. I'm going to avoid spoilers, but just, I just didn't, it did not wrap up in the kind of with enough uh, gravity that I wanted it to have. Uh, and also just the thing that like, goes along with this whole movie when comparing it to the first Justice League. So I think this movie just looks better. Uh, I'm not the world's biggest fan of Zack Snyder's visual style. I rewatched some of the DC movies with a friend of mine, and just seeing the kind of darkness that is in Man of Steel and is in BVS, it just—I I'm not the biggest fan of that. But it actually, I did not mind it here. I think something that works visually with keeping things maybe darker is it makes certain colors seem more distinct, like blue. There's been a lot of like blue and seas of black in this movie, not to sound too grad student-y, but uh, (laughs) it just looks better than kind of the way it looks in the first one, and especially that ending. It looks like burnt pizza in the (laughs) ending of the first one.
0: Uh, Okay. Uh, Everything's
1: like a reddish color.
0: Yeah.
2: And I I preferred
1: preferred how... uh, how dark it looked here. It made the colors when colorful things did appear. It made them feel more distinct.
0: I I liked how it looked. I did not remember. I did not re rewatch uh, the the first cut or the theatrical release. I think is what they're re- regarding uh, recalling it. Or
1: as Snyder fans would call it, Justice League. Ugh. I know.
0: Yeah, Snyder fans. Um, so I didn't notice that. I thought, I thought it looked really great. But not, it's not until like maybe doing a little bit of research and looking at some articles and seeing some pictures side by side that I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, that does look better. But, yeah, the first one didn't bother me visually, I don't think. It, all my problems with the movie were mainly story-wise. And, okay. and you're right. In this version, they've corrected a lot of story things. A lot of giving us, again, a, uh, an antagonist who we understand a little bit more now. We understand where where he's coming from and why they're why he's doing the things that he's doing, and that that matters a lot.
1: Yes, it does. And I mean, the character work is really the main improvement here, uh, and and the, like the performances are 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 good as well. They match they match the character work, especially uh, Ray Fisher, who plays Cyborg, and I think does an incredible job. Um, I mean, not like amazing like some people are praising him, but. But I I think he did a really good job, and it kind of just terrible that like his performance was cut down so much in the theatrical version.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess I wouldn't. I don't feel as strongly about it as far as like his performance being cut down. It's just better. It's just a better story. It's better storytelling that we have more of of his origin story, and we care more about him. And you're right, he is a much a much larger figure in this version than he is in the other one. And I think, and this is a better movie, so it, it's clearly a pretty big choice, including his relationship with his dad. And, uh, like, that's, we, we we get more information there, too, and that that's helpful.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, and this, uh, what I'm about to bring up is not really the most, like, maybe critical aspect of it, but I just think this movie is cooler. Like that's not the best way to describe things, but like there's some some scenes in this one scene in particular involving the flash that those who have seen it, I think know what I'm talking about near the uh near the end that just looks so cool, and like the score from junkie x l uh adds to this uh, there's just some it's just more fun to watch there's some. Stuff involving, you know, Darkseid's appearance into this and kinda of the greater DC universe uh references to to that. And those listen to the podcast who don't know who Darkseid is, he's kinda in layman's terms, like the big bad of the DC universe. And kinda seeing him, it's just in references to kinda greater DC universe things that I'll I'll try to avoid spoilers by getting getting into. It's just it's just cool and fun to see and Like, even if you're not really the world's biggest DC fan or the world's biggest comics fan like that are, it's still just, it feels, it feels good.
0: Yeah, cooler, more epic, both of those. Uh, It's, yeah, it's a certain, yeah, kind of gravitas to the ending, to the whole movie, really. It made it much more enjoyable. And I don't know how much of that is the fact that we've been talking about this and everybody's been talking about this for a really long time and it's finally here and it's four hours and... You know, carved out special time. I guess every time you see a movie, you're carving out special time, but when it's a four hour movie, you really have to work to carve out special time to see it. Uh, I think that probably added to it as well.
1: Yes, and if you're worried about uh uh seeing it because you didn't like the First Justice League, this movie is so different. It is incredibly different. It is it is it may have similar plot beats. But like everything outside of that is, it's a totally different movie.
0: Yeah, and even the scenes—I not this doesn't make any sense to me, but I, I found it to be my experience. Even the scenes that were basically the same still felt different because of what happened before them and then what happens after them. You know, it's there is an accumulative effect to the changes that are made throughout, that gives even the again the standard Whedon scene uh, something a little extra, which is fun
1: yes uh, this goes back into the cool stuff but like seeing specific examples of scene mainly involving the cyborg character it just kind of makes you wonder like why why would you cut that like it just you're seeing it and that's the reaction I'm seeing a lot of people have online it's just like that's so cool why would you not put that in the movie
0: yeah but that's it's just, just really unfair I mean it's, it's, it's it, it I don't know. Like what it seems I mean I'm sure the studio was not going to release a 4-hour movie. You know, back you know in that day so I'm sure he had to cut some things. You know, I don't know. It's, it feels like Monday morning quarterbacking. Um but normally we don't, you know, you don't normally get to see what else is out there. Um so I don't know. Maybe there might have been a billion good reasons to cut it, but this is a better movie, so you know, wrong choice, I guess. yeah.
1: Right, this movie we've we've been kind of singing its praises for a little bit but let's let's there is some stuff that i uh, that i didn't like about this movie uh slow-mo and snyder uses it you're, you're laughing because you know i'm i'm correct and you know we both have this the same issue um this movie could have
0: been only three hours Yes, this movie, without slow
1: This movie could have been an hourless movie is just time added <laughs> by using slow motion, and we, we see another Zack Snyder movie. It was used a lot in Watchmen. He he likes his slow motion,
0: and it looks cool almost the entire time. But you know, even there is such a thing as too much of a good thing.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, it it it, it is like every other scene. Like there's this one scene with a uh, flash. You get to see a little bit in the trailer involving a car crash, and like. I swear that is the point to go to the bathroom in <laughs> Which this is exactly movie because it I lasts did. like right. 30 minutes. I mean, it is so <laughs> Just an exaggeration. It is so. so long. It uses slow motion for like the and part of it's because super speed, but even then, it feels slower than like normal super speed.
0: Yeah, that was that that felt a bit a bit much.
1: Oh uh, yeah, and also, um, as I did comment on uh, how the score from Junkie XL kind of added. To the epicness of this movie, but when involving Wonder Woman, they do this kind of—I'm gonna step away from the microphone because I'm about to be a little loud here. But like, oh, 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 oh." (laughs) like this, like woman, like yodeling into the microphone plays like every time Wonder Woman breathes. Yeah, it's like the Wonder Woman theme for this movie, but it's like every single time she does anything. Plays,
0: yeah. It was a little something about it seemed off. It's very similar to music that we've seen in other kind of epic movies, and very similar to the the music that uh, I think it's Alexander Payne as the filmmaker who made the movie Election. When the the protagonist of Election is having a stress moment or a going crazy moment, this kind of kind of plays, and it's very similar to it. And it reminds me of that, and it doesn't. I'm not sure that totally worked for me, but you know, no, yeah, I, I hear you. And
1: like, you might be this might you might be thinking like, oh, this sounds a little nitpicky. You will notice, even <laughs> if we hadn't brought it up, you would definitely notice.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true.
1: I mean, it's like they used a little bit of the Hans Zimmer thing from Wonder Woman, which I actually didn't mind that, but it's the it's the like it's the woman like doing the singing. Like I mean, it's whenever like one woman blinks and it's like, (laughs) yeah, I'm 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 with you. Okay, it's um another thing, and you would probably expect this movie to have this. Is there some moments that are meant to set up sequels that we are? Probably not going to get. And so that kind of feels a little weird while watching it. There is one scene that's meant to set up a, a solo Ben Affleck movie, which obviously, because Robert Pattinson's been cast as the Batman, and we already know about that movie. We know that's not going to happen unless, you know, the hashtag Restore the Snyderverse thing works to completion, which I don't think it will. But obviously there's been times when you didn't think the Snyder Cut would ever happen. But the point is, it might feel... A little weird watching those scenes to be like oh yep in the next movie we're gonna be doing this and like you don't have a next movie
0: yeah it's almost like DVD extras are included within the reg- regular film
1: yeah that is that is kind of it yeah that is that's
0: kind of what it feels like
1: and um another part there's uh in the last kind of 20 minutes of the movie and I'm not getting into spoilers here there's there's a almost the last scene kind of there's um Moment that just feels weird. The last scene, I think, I think you'll feel the same way when I watched it from the friend of mine. He had a similar statement about uh, that ending. Like the very last scene, just doesn't work. Like the dialogue feels a little weird, and that might give you a bad taste to your mouth when leaving the movie because it's the last scene.
0: Um, but I, I, I was willing to to look over that. Are there any big changes that we could talk about without giving away spoilers that kind of gives the audience a sense of the kind of changes that were made and or versus some of the smaller changes that were made that we both liked?
1: No Russian family. No Russian family. Yeah, that's no a huge family.
0: that's a huge change. A huge change. I don't know exactly how much screen time they got, but in the theatrical release there was this you know, Russian family that lived close to where some bad things were going on, and they kind of personified you know humanity as a whole, and we were supposed to feel empathetic towards them. and And in the theatrical release, I, f- I felt nothing for them but annoyance nope. every time they came on. Uh, and so they were gone, and I think that's a huge thing uh, for the movie. I think a huge bonus in this movie's favor is that that family was not in it, and also them them
1: being taken away because a big, from the climax of this movie, because one of the main parts of the climax of this movie was Flash and Superman. Kind of the moment where, like, Flash has the character change in the first one is, this is kind of spoilery, but, uh, he's involved saving the civilians. And because the civilians are not there, it gives way to much cooler things that happen on this climax. It gives the climax more stakes. Steppenwolf is, um... Not as easily beaten as he is in the first one. One of my big complaints, and I'm this, I may have voiced these uh, these complaints like 40 years ago when we did a <laughs> Justice League podcast, uh, that it feels like the movie's just over in the first one when Superman Peter's because Superman can do anything. What are you going to do? Steppenwolf. Um, but its it doesn't feel that way in this one, and yeah. I was very happy about that.
0: Yeah, so that that to me is a great example of a big change that we've made. And there's also small changes. And one of the first ones that I noticed and was oh so happy about um, is with a scene where this is, you know, if you've seen the first one, this is definitely not a spoiler scene. But you have, uh, you know, Jason Momoa and Ben Affleck together as Batman as, as Bruce Wayne and uh, Aquaman. And he's trying to recruit him, you know, and Jason uh, Aquaman basically says no. And in the theatrical cut, he's standing in the water and he does this back dive. And then you see like the pew, like you see him like just kind of sprint off under the water. Kind of like when uh, Superman flies like a man of steel, but it's underwater. But the back dive. I mean, it's just a guy doing a back dive like in water. Like, there's nothing superhero y or like special powers about it. And it just looked weird.
1: I, I did, That is not something <laughs> I didn't notice of.
0: Me so much. And in this version, like the camera cuts to uh, someone and there's some character development in that someone. And then when it cuts back to that scene, you just see the ripples in the water. So you don't actually see Aquaman take off in this awkward back dive. And like honestly, that's pretty close to the beginning of the movie. Um, and when that happened, I was like, "All right, this is gonna be good," because that is one of the cringiest moments in the first one to me. And it was gone.
1: Well, one of the cringiest moments in this movie for me stayed.
0: <laughs> what and is that?
1: That is. This isn't too much. This isn't too much of a spoiler. I don't feel bad revealing this information. Uh, Aquaman walking down the pier. Music's playing, he's got his uh, actually I think he still has his shirt on, but you can see his muscles and he's drinking a beer, it's he's slow doing motion he's, too, right? he's got cool alcoholism and it's it's slow motion and he throws the bottle down <laughs> on the beer. That bothered me so much. <laughs> he's just like why would Aquaman litter? <laughs> like he takes his shirt off and throws it in the water.
0: Like, what is going on? I mean, that's like the human joke. You know, the water is just everybody's toilet. You know how the ocean is. And now, but Aquaman can't act like that, right? What is he doing throwing that bottle down in the ocean? <laughs> that drove me nuts, also. Yeah. So that okay like, it looked cool, but like, that stayed. Yeah, that did stay.
1: But. but very important thing, and this isn't too much of a spoiler either, and it's worth celebrating. My man made it.
0: That's right. My man.
1: My man.
0: Used the perfect and appropriate number of times, which is one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> it did not reoccur. We were yeah. so happy. You could see us watching the movie. When he said, my man, we like openly celebrated. <laughs> we are like, Wah-hoo!
0: But it wasn't so like his character. I think we could talk about that without too many. I can't think of any spoilers. Maybe it was maybe just a tone thing, really. Because I don't know the concrete changes they made to make this happen. But... Aquaman felt less broy, you know, like in a really great way. Um, he was kind of kind of cringy because he said "my man" like ten times, and it was like this guy You pictured him like high fiving people, you know, <laughs> kinda like in a bad way, you know. So I I, I liked his character so much better. Yes,
1: there's a, there's a lot of improvements. We would definitely say this movie is uh, better than the first one. But it's just they take out some of the stuff we didn't like for the first one and add stuff we do like.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, we'll keep
2: going, sorry.
1: No, no, no. You can, you can say what you're going to say.
0: Well, uh, looking at this list of kind of changes that somebody compiled, there, were, so, m- there are many minute changes, but I, would just, I just wanted to say that I kind of would argue that these minute changes do lead up to a different feel for the entire film and I get I'm not Absolutely. sure exactly how they did that but they they did it well and if you yeah it's worth seeing Yes, it is
1: definitely worth seeing worth seeing for 4 hours <laughs> it's long and it's um it's not some could argue there are definitely scenes that are disposable to reduce the uh the runtime but i kind of don't mind the 4 hour experience i don't
0: mind that either especially when you consider the put it in context of what's going on with these movie properties. You know, odds are there's not going to be the trilogy. This was supposed to be the first film in a trilogy of Justice League movies, right? Yep. And so because that's not going to happen, there are some things that are in the movie that would set up two and three or even give references. Like with the, I won't say particular names, but like with the Flash character, like with his kind of first scene in here. Like I can see...
1: Well we are getting a Flash movie. So that may Oh stay. that may be setting That up may stay that. Okay. and still be uh, still be relevant.
0: Okay, so there's probably several things like that that were either one will actually have direct application into other movies that D C is going to do or we're part of the original plan in two and three. And it's hard to know what's what. So but to me that was still at this point it's still just part of the fun. Because again, this is all bonus, right? You know, we weren't supposed to get this, but we did. Yes,
1: I think that's all we can say.
0: Yeah, I think I think we want to get into spoilers. Uh, at least I'm I'm itching to. I am. <laughs> I mean, there, are, there are specific well. instances. I'm really I'm
1: really excited to get into the spoiler talk with Kevin.
0: Yeah. So, um, well, why don't we give it a grade? And I'm curious what I'm I'm really fascinated what you're going to give
1: it. So I uh, I never come up with the grades beforehand. So how about you, say the grade.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm going to give it a B.
1: I'm also going to give it a B.
0: All right.
1: I think that's uh it's a solid movie. It's definitely positive. I'd say this is maybe my second favorite DCEU
0: movie. Hmm. That uh makes me ask Wonder what what's the first? Uh
1: Shazam. I, I quite enjoyed Shazam.
0: Shazam Shazam was a really good movie. All
1: right. Um, and I don't know if it's Recency Bias. It may be Recency Bias that is uh that's putting it over Wonder Woman for me.
0: The first one. I the first, I'm right. yeah, the I? first one. <laughs> you haven't
1: seen one of in 1984, but it's pretty bad.
0: That's 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 what I've that's what I've heard. Well, why don't we see if we can summon? Ke- I mean, get Kevin to
2: join us.
1: Kevin Morrow. Kevin Morrow. Kevin Morrow. Kevin Morrow. Kevin Morrow.
2: Did uh? Did somebody order a Kevin Morrow? Oh
0: my god, it worked!
1: Yes! it, it Wow! <laughs> now, he's <laughs> yes.
2: now he's gonna kill us.
1: It's incredible. Yes, he's gonna kill us and. Candy themed ways, I assume.
0: Exactly. I think that how, that's how the movie works. Uh, Kevin Morrow, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the Owls on Culture podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, I really like the flow that you guys have together. I hope I don't uh, mess it up.
0: Not at all. Not at all. Consider yourself a, an official, unofficial owl. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> an official, unofficial owl. Exactly. I, I'll take that. Yeah.
0: It's a much less rigorous process if we make it unofficial official.
2: Yeah. Can I get that in, on a t-shirt? Yeah. Yes, you can, as a matter of fact
0: Go to, no, we
2: don't have, we don't have any
0: merchandise We need some no, merch, no. man
1: you made, you made that custom shirt just for us I like made a two for us years ago.
0: to wear Because I, you know, I'm, you know, sentimental like that But uh, we have, we have that's a great idea, Kevin <laughs> We shall work on that uh, Kevin, we'll have introduced you a little bit uh, okay. earlier But would you tell everybody who you are And particularly, would you talk about your podcast?
2: Sure <coughs> Sorry about that No worries Sure. Uh, so my name is Kevin Morrow. I am the co-host and I guess founder of the Comics Canon podcast, which is uh, a podcast that, uh, as as we say on the show, reads, reviews, and renders judgment on the greatest comic book stories of yesterday and today. So each episode, we will take a particular storyline or graphic novel or something like that, um, whether it's a superhero comic or like a an autobiographical. In independent comic, or you know, somewhere along that spectrum, and just kind of give it a critical but not too critical capital C um, reading, uh, you know, and discuss it and uh, decide whether it warrants inclusion in what we call the comics canon, which is basically just your your pantheon of great comic book stories.
0: Outstanding! And you're doing old work, new work, yeah, everything I- in between as well.
2: Yeah, and um, part of um, part of what we, part of the mission when we started was, you know, um, all these TV shows and movies were coming up, it, they still are, and they already had been, of course, but we thought it would be interesting to kind of look at the source material for some of those, some of these things. So, like, we actually did a uh, Captain America Winter Soldier episode um, a couple of months ago to tie into the fact that there was, you know, this Falcon and winter soldier TV show coming up that you guys talked about on your last episode. Um, so we've we discussed, you know, kind of the big 800 pound gorillas of superhero comics, like dark Knight returns, watchmen, uh, kingdom come, things like that. And we also do, um, smaller things or, um, YA stories, um, uh, Fun Home by Alison Bechdel, which is a memoir that was turned into a Broadway show, uh, several years ago. You know, we, so, um, we're, we're, we're game for anything, basically.
1: I do, I do appreciate the variety on your yeah.
2: podcast. Thanks. I appreciate that.
0: And, uh, the fact that it feels like it comes from a place of love.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's plenty of outlets out there for for trashing things, and having been at least a semi professional critic, you know, I used to write about movies and music and stuff like that. Uh, um, I don't. That's not something that I, I want to put into the world. Plus, the amount of preparation that we have to do for the show, like Kurt and I, uh, Kurt Holman, my co host, we both will read what we're going to talk about all the way through at least once, and. Then again, while we're kind of taking notes, and sometimes even a third time, maybe or at least partway, um, and that's just a lot of time to spend on something that you you know you're going to hate, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> right? Um, and that just doesn't have a lot of appeal to me to like to dump on something as we get older. There's places for that, and right, yeah, that's not the kind of energy we want to put out into the world. I think. That's
0: kind of how we approach it too. We don't. Um I mean, y'all are, y'all have bona fide critic, like, you know, you are, you have been, uh, and we are not, and we don't know, you know, we're just having a conversation about it. So it's even, we're even kind of one stepped, even kind of more relaxed and just, you know, two fans really, even if we may not be a, a fan of that particular thing we're talking about that day, but that's kind of how we look at it as well. Um, I do, we're going to talk about Justice League, but I also got just a couple more questions. Um, is there can you think of like a big surprise that you had kind of going into looking at one of the things one of the either series or one of the single issues or that you were doing you were like oh this is a lot better than i remembered or or than i thought it was going to be or or vice versa was there anything that
2: um there were uh <laughs> maybe more vice versa there were a couple things that i expected to like more than i did um but there had been some really pleasant surprises along the way where Kurt has recommended something that I may never have heard of before like a book uh, we did The Arrival um, uh, a graphic novel which is this really fanciful kind of migrant story Um, and we did it I think around November 2016 Uh, I might be wrong it might have been uh, a little later than that but it it was around an election season and immigration and things like that were all in the news and Kurt was like, "This might be a, a fun way to sort of touch on that topic." And I'd never heard of it, and I absolutely loved it. And it, it, it's it's probably one of the least listened to episodes of the podcast, but I'm really glad that we did it um, because I we had at least one listener who said, "You know, holy blank, that sounds amazing. I guess I'm going to have to order that from Amazon now." <laughs> you know, um, that's awesome. And that that is really what like that's the highest praise that like we could get like we don't get a ton of feedback but from the people that we do when they say something like that we turn them on to something that they didn't know about or made them reconsider something that you know they hadn't looked at in a particular light like that that makes it totally worth it yeah
0: Yeah. you could totally be introducing somebody to their new favorite thing yeah you know that's that that's kind of fun um well let's talk about justice league uh As Hank has said before, uh, we are not experts by any stretch of the imagination on the actual comic books themselves. I'm curious, could you talk a little bit about the comic book inspiration for these two movies and if they are different
2: inspirations? Um, I, I don't know how different they are. There's not one set in stone like Justice League story that I think informs these movies. Um, so Darkseid, who is the villain in the Snyder Cut and is sort of hinted at in the Joss Whedon version, um, is a big character who was introduced by Jack Kirby, who I know you, you've mentioned by name in the past. Um, he Jack Kirby was at Marvel Comics in the early 60s, throughout the 60s when, they, when Marvel became what they are, doing the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and kind of launching all these new characters and kind of revolutionizing the face of comics and he grew unhappy and moved over to dc like in the early 70s and they said we'll give you like your own kind of sandbox you know you could create this whole mythology from scratch and um dark side was the big bad of all of those books uh and primarily in a book uh new gods that we covered on the podcast i think last year um i think indirectly um There's a famous comic book writer, Grant Morrison, who did a run on Justice League. It was actually called JLA at the time in the 90s. I want to say the late 90s. uh, And that really played into the idea of these characters as, you know, modern myths. And I think that there is a fair amount of that um, in the movie, too. I don't think it's there's no particular scene or anything that you can point to and say that. But I, I feel like that sensibility of these characters is not just larger than life but like um larger than larger than life <laughs> you know like mythological beings i think some of that you could say comes from those those books
1: that that sounds uh very interesting
2: yeah i would recommend uh, i would recommend that any any run from that jla title from i i guess the mid 90s uh, maybe to 2000 or the early 2000s
1: uh, my next question is kind of just a more specific version. Like, kind of not the Justice League as a whole, but, like, the specific Zack snyder versions of these characters, like Wonder Woman and Batman and Superman. Like, are there specific comics in which those are from? I know the Batman is the very Dark Knight Returns-y Batman, but, like, other than that...
2: To, to an extent, he is. Um, the Batman in Dark Knight Returns is older, like this Batman is. You know, it's talked about how he's been in fighting crime in Gotham City for, like, 20 years, but the batman in the dark knight returns the the actual frank miller comic is um a lot bigger and gruffer and meaner and doesn't have like the kind of softer side that ben affleck shows in some of his performance and i don't mean that in a negative way but you know he can sit there and like stroll along a lake with wonder woman and have a conversation about something um whereas the batman and the dark knight returns is kind of one note you know and just you know badass kind of gruff uh, throughout um i don't <laughs> excuse me i don't think i don't think that there's again any one particular text that any of these characters come from um the the version of cyborg that is in these movies uh i think is closer to the version of cyborg that's been in the comics for the last 10 years or so in different dc comics um a very different character in in, in look and in temperament from when he started out in the teen titans uh in the early 80s uh but th- that's the thing about these characters and it they lend themselves to to different interpretations uh and this movie may not be my justice league that i think of in my head that may not be the batman or the superman that i think of when i think of them as characters but that doesn't mean that there's not room for that version of that character like it doesn't take anything away from me for those for that version of that character to exist in that movie if that makes sense
0: that makes perfect sense and i think you almost that's like a really good quality for people who are comic book fans because you kind of have to roll with it because there are so many different versions, you know?
2: Yeah, and just in Warner Brothers medias, you know, um, you have the Arrowverse TV shows and you have a Superman in there, you know? Uh, and now there's there's a show, Superman and Lois, and it's very different from Henry Cavill in these movies, you know? Um, and,
0: and Doom Patrol as a cyborg, right? Yeah,
2: exactly, yeah. He's, the same character just... A different version, and there's re- they seem very comfortable in letting these different versions of these characters coexist in different properties, whereas Marvel Studios I don't think <laughs> would do that at all. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Um, so this is not the first comic book movie Zack Snyder has done. Um, are you a fan? Would you call your fan of, of of the previous ones, or is there one in particular you you like or dislike, or? Or how do you think he is an interpreter of DC? I guess they like him. They keep,
2: they, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It's complicated for me. I um, I really liked three hundred a lot when it came out, and I haven't reexamined it, you know. And um, I think that there are readings of his three hundred and of the original comic that are perfectly valid. That they're kind of very aggressive and pro war and were kind of used as uh used by some people you know kind of as um they could point at that and say you know this speaks to what's going on in the world right now with I- al qaeda and 911 and all these kinds of things and you know um that's probably valid uh i don't need that <laughs> <laughs> uh, um His Watchmen, I liked a lot when it came out because it seemed to me like the closest you could get to replicating that book, which seemed impossible. Uh, Having rewatched it last year, um, because uh, my fiance, I I really wanted to watch the Watchmen TV series, and I knew that meant that she was going to have to sit there and suffer through it with me, so it's like, well, at least here, watch this movie that will sort of Kind of give you an idea of, like, who some of the characters are that they talk about. Um, going back and rewatching it, um, didn't like it as much, but I could appreciate some things about it. His vision, I think, is, not to be reductive, but I think overall is grimmer and darker than I necessarily look for in comic book movies. I don't mind it to an extent, and there are parts of all of his movies that I think I find something to like in but um, yeah it's it's complicated <laughs> yeah is, is a really good way to put it
0: Yeah, he seems to be a, a um, I mean it's somewhat of a polarizing figure I mean I guess any kind of big director doing things that already have built-in huge fan bases or is going to kind of go kind of suffer with that
1: yeah I'm, I'm interesting to hear you talk about the the Watchmen movie because we did the kind of same thing watching the movie before watching the show, just to get a feel of the characters, and I did it in the wrong order. I've since read the graphic novel, yeah. and I the general consensus I think I see online is that if you watch the movie before you read the graphic novel, you really enjoy it. Then after you read the graphic novel, you enjoy it less because you see how much worse it is in comparison. And I kind of had that same experience.
2: Yeah, um, I I think that the movie misses the point of the book <laughs> in a way. Um. It's, for example, the character of Rorschach in the book, you know, is a very kind of Batmanish, you know, extreme version of that kind of urban vigilante. But it's not, you know, it's not an embrace of that particular trope. Um, whereas it, there's, you know, I've seen people. What's a better way to say this? Um, I feel like. That movie and Zack Snyder in general um, likes a very kind of grim and aggressive take on things. And I don't think that's what Watchmen was about. It it wasn't about if superheroes were real in in the real world, they'd be really dark, man. (laughs) You know, Um, so... Yeah, I, I could go on and on, but we we have a movie to talk. About. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm yeah. getting.
0: Uh, no, no, it's not exciting at all. to have somebody to to talk to this stuff about who knows what they're talking about. Uh, let's let's get on to the movie, shall we? Uh, um, hold on, one more question before yeah, we get it. into the
1: the nitty gritty spoiler thing. When watching the 2017, the theatrical Justice League, did you mind it all that much? Did you think we need a newer, better version of it?
2: No, um, I I didn't mind it. Like I said, like. It wasn't necessarily for me. There were things I could appreciate in it. I um, Ben Affleck did a better job than I might have thought. Although I was telling you guys before we started, you know, I was one of those people who was like Heath Leather. Heath Heath Ledger is the Joker. No way. Chris <laughs> Evans is Captain America. Are you kidding me? That's going to be terrible. So <laughs> clearly, I my track record is not great in that that area. But um, uh, I could see that it was you know. Uh, a movie with some problems, some faults, but I didn't hate it. <laughs> you know, there no. are parts of it that I like better than the Snyder version, the Snyder cut, um, and there are parts of the Snyder cut that I like better than the, the the theatrical version. And it'd be great if there was a middle ground somewhere that wasn't like three hours, and you know. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, well, I want to get to those kind of differences in between in between the two versions. But I guess uh and this is just for everybody. So like Hank, what did now that we're here and we can talk about spoilers, you know, what did you what did you really think of the movie? And the Snyder the Snyder cut versus uh the theatrical version or just, you know, if you want to just address the the Snyder cut by itself.
1: No, there's a lot I enjoyed about the Snyder cut that was not in the theatrical cut. I rewatched the theatrical cut before the Snyder cut very pretty soon beforehand and i I just think I mean being better than the first one in my opinion is a very low bar, and I think the uh the Snyder Cut jumps pretty high over it I think the the increase in backstory kind of for all the characters some are some pretty similar, uh, but mainly for the uh the cyborg character who has like a good like forty five minutes more than he did in the first one. I think that really just made me care about the characters more, and there's a lot of like big like epic. Kind of is the supposed, supposed to be the feel of it. Moments that I kind of really enjoyed watching, even though sometimes, like, uh, the flash, the whole, like, what's the, like, make your own future, make your own past kind of scene. At certain points, I, I felt that was, uh, unearned a little bit. I think that the heroes don't really have, uh, ter- terribly great arcs, but I think overall, while watching it, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed the. I touched on this before but I I enjoyed the the visual style of it and usually I do a little bit mind Snyder's kind of style the kind of the the kind of darkness of it not just you know tonally but actually the way it looks. Right. Um but I think this one's a a vast improvement. I I kind of I did not miss some of like Whedon's add-ons, like the Russian family, so glad they're gone. I want to never see the Russian family (laughs) again.
0: That is probably my, like the biggest improvement to me is not having that uh, family just outside the headquarters where, you know, there was I guess a stand-in for all of humanity. Right. You know, which is, it's hard to do but I don't know how you felt, Kevin, but I didn't care about them at all.
2: No, I I, I thought it was kind of pointless and I, I, you know, I feel like we get what the stakes are, you know, um, we know that stuff is bad. Like this is a huge thing that's going down. Uh, the world is in trouble. Um, and it didn't really fit with the rest of the movie. So it, in the theatrical version, so I, yeah, I don't miss it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That, that, that to me was the biggest, like just straight off the bat when I heard that or noticed that I was like, all right, so already we're better. We're in a we're in a better place because we're not caring about we're pretending to care about those guys.
1: I know, I know. I just said something a little negative about the the flash, big scene, in the Snutter cut, but I think that is a vast and incredible improvement to him. Like running the family in the cars into the safe area, yeah. And that whole the whole kind of climax of the scene, I think feels a lot better to me. I think Steppenwolf seems a lot harder to beat when i was watching it with my second time with a friend of mine i think we were both like okay this is we both really kind of enjoyed the climax of the movie because it felt like steppenwolf was more of a threat and it also adds on the whole rest of the movie adds on to it because we care about these characters more and that means the final battle means more and it's more interesting to us so i think the whole the whole climax is just uh just a vast improvement
0: what did you think of the redesign of Steppenwolf? Because he looked different in this version.
1: I, I, I mean, I don't love the way Steppenwolf looks right now. I do, I do think it's better, but I didn't really. When like I don't know, it feels like it was like a year ago when we saw the first the first pictures of the, uh, the redesign of Steppenwolf. I wasn't like some people were. I was like, oh my god, it's so much better. I was like, okay, it looks different to me. It looks silvery. We've seen big silver monster bad guys in a bunch of different. Movies before, but I, I yeah, I the redesign, I didn't really care. I was hoping that the the kind of story for the and the story with Steppenwolf would be better than it was in the first one. And I think it was. We do have some more motivation, even if it's simple like I want Dark Side to love me, Dark Side give me approval. Um, okay, even if it's something simple like that, I I preferred it to nothing, which was in the <laughs> first one. <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, Steppenwolf's design. So I went back and rewatched the the theatrical version after watching the Snyder cut, and not remembering a whole lot about the theatrical version beforehand. Um, and just the fact that you could see his his whole face in in the Whedon version, I was like, that's just weird and wrong. Like I, I was used to four hours of him with his face kind of obscured, and that. More scaly, kind of silver armor-looking thing. Yeah, um, I don't think I'm a fan of either look, but I think Snyder's look, um, maybe because uh, it was more freshly imprinted in my mind. It's, it, I liked it better. How does
1: and, I? I had never heard of Steppenwolf before the theatrical Justice League. How does he look in the comics?
2: Um, I think he was mentioned in one one issue of the uh the new gods book that that we did on the podcast last year he's not a big character at all in in the comics somebody along the way i haven't read every single comic in in which that universe and dark side you know exists um but somebody along the way may have said oh here's this character that we could pull out and do something interesting with but um I think they just needed someone to be kind of a dark side stand-in in this movie because the idea is obviously that then dark side was going to be a much bigger presence in a later movie. So they're like, well, all right. So who's like a dark side underling that we can use for this? Um, I will say that I, I like the uh, I like the ending as far as it applies to Steppenwolf a lot better in the Snyder version. Uh, the idea that the parademons can smell fear and then they turn on Steppenwolf and kind of devour him and kill him just seemed to come out of nowhere. Yeah. That was so eye roly. Yeah. And (laughs) him have, like you said, him having a clear cut motivation and like, I kind of liked like seeing one of his big horns get chopped off. And then, you know, his head, you know, his head getting sliced off from his body. And like, I it wasn't super gory, which I appreciated, but the then the visual of just that sort of landing at Darkseid's feet, I really liked a lot. I thought that was such a such a great improvement and such a sort of throwing the gauntlet down. Like, the next move is yours, Darkseid. You know, two movies from now when you come back, you know.
0: Yeah, I definitely like this ending better and, and how they, they treated him. And you really do kind of almost, I think, you have to grade this movie on a curve a little bit because, you know yes, they're putting it out there for us to enjoy, but they were also putting it out there just to show kind of what may have been in the future. Right. Uh, Which I think, uh, to me, lets, you know, some things off the hook that maybe would bother me if this was like a standalone thing and not kind of done in the way that it was.
2: Because obviously there's no way he was going to get to put out a four-hour movie (laughs) in theaters. Right. Uh, And so this is not... The definitive Snyder Justice League movie that would have happened had he stuck with the whole thing, but um yeah, it's meant to show kind of more of his vision and different things that he you know that he had in mind, and you know if he had the room to play with, you know you know if they said four hours, sure, for a streaming service, why not you know so
0: yeah. did you watch it all in one sitting or did you? No, um, it up or how?
2: I, I watched, I watched probably like the first half hour to 45 minutes. And then, um, uh, it was late at night and we had something to do the next morning. So, and, uh, my fiance, there was no way she was going to sit through the whole four hour ordeal. <laughs>
0: That's a tough ask.
2: Yeah. Um, and I have to admit the first, the first part or two, um, it was rough going for me. I wasn't sure I was gonna. <laughs> I I did not know how I was gonna stick it out through the whole thing because, um, from the from the very be- beginning, the the opening is so different because it's right at the end of Batman v Superman and Superman dying, and somehow his dying, his death scream, reverberates across the you know across <laughs> the world and wakes up the Mother Boxes somehow. But the music is so. Dramatic and so pretentious. And and then you have that kind of Cirque du Soleil woman singing voice, you know, especially whenever Wonder Woman comes up. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. That's it hilarious. It just didn't quite work for us. Me. But, um, but it is so pretentious and it happens so often in that beginning. And scenes go on for so long. And, like, how much, you know, how long do we need to see Bruce Wayne on horseback going to the village where he... Where he hunts down Aquaman, like um, this isn't the most dramatic scene in the movie, but they're pumping it like like it is, like every moment is like cranked up to eleven to use a Spinal Tap reference. Excellent. In that in those early those early scenes, and I was like, is the whole thing gonna be like this? And I'm I was glad that it wasn't, and that you know there some things get to breathe a little bit more. If you can say that about a Zack Snyder movie, <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, I thought that whole, the, the Bruce Wayne on the horse, like, vista after vista after vista, right. music after music after music, like, okay, we get it. One like, thing,
1: it's a little confusing, when, like, we are first hearing about the Snyder Cut, one of the things was that, like, we're supposed to see Batman do detective work to find these people, so I was waiting to see him do some detective work to find these people, I was like, oh, do you just mean we have an extra couple of minutes of yeah. him walking through
0: the ice? Yeah. Or is Alfred just, you know, finding them on yep. the computer? Like most <laughs> yeah. most uh, comic book kind of detective things are just somebody at a computer going, oh, they're here and here and here.
2: Alfred and Wonder Woman using Google. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: exactly. Uh, the Aquaman scene, though, was one of my favorite changes where they did not show him actually leaving in the water. You know, that that was a huge improvement for me. Again, there was like my experience watching this film was like little bitty things of like, oh, yeah, that's a little bit better. Oh yeah, that's better. And then it kind of added up to me for like, you know, enjoying those moments. And there's very few of the things in reverse where I was like, oh, I missed that. But there are,
2: there are, there were some.
0: Uh Cyborg is a big change in this movie compared to the theatrical version. What did what did you think of that?
2: Yeah, well, and yeah, and Hank touched on this earlier. He he has an arc in this where is in the first movie, he's just sort of there. <laughs> you know, um and it may not be A particularly satisfying arc, but you have all the elements of it. You have the tension between him and his father and you have, you know, spoilers. You have, um, you know, his father's death really spurs something in him. And, you know, along the way you see, you get more of a sense of why he joins with these people and, and how his outlook changes over the course of the thing. Uh, whereas in the first movie, he's kind of more of a plot point than an actual character in a lot of ways. I mean, yeah. In
1: this movie, he's kind of, and I mean, the first one, he was kind of just a minor, like, makes up the he meets the quota for members of Justice League. Yeah. And this one, he's kind of the the crux of the film. He is the main change. You have that, you know, scene at the end where he's like, "You can be whole again," or something like something like that. And he's like, well, "I'm not broken." Yeah. And so he's kind of the, the the changing point in
2: this movie.
0: Yeah. Do you remember when you, when you first, when you got over the whole pretentiousness thing of it and said like you started kind of going along with the ride or was there?
2: It was somewhere in the part three, I think, um, because those first couple of, you know, half hours or whatever, I was, however long each part is, and I, I know it's it varies, but um, it may have helped going away from it and then coming back the next day too. Uh, I was like, for whatever reason, yeah, this is going down a lot smoother. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, no, I can't pinpoint a specific moment, um, but there was like an easing up of, of the foot on the gas, <laughs> clearly, in terms of everything being cranked up to this, you know, Wagnerian high operatic, you know, assault <laughs> that it felt like the first, you know, the first hour felt like, Yeah.
0: Yeah. That being said, though, I did like, think the beginning, even with Superman Scream and the dr- dramaticness of that or kind of the milking of that, I th- thought that was better than how the theatrical release started with the battle and the, what are they, Parademons? Is that what they're called?
1: Yeah, the Parademons. Yeah. And, well, I, I kind of, I was glad at the lack of uh, the, how the first one begins uh, with, like, the the phone recording of the kids and they're asking Superman, like, what's your favorite part about thing about planet Earth? Yeah. And I kind of, I didn't I didn't like that. Because <laughs> like, he's all about hope, man. He is. He's all about hope. <laughs> and it's like, and then oh, the one thing I definitely didn't miss was the montage at the beginning. Where they're showing like the robbery and like the homeless person with like, I tried. And it's like, th- things are bad now without yeah. Superman.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm glad they kind of get, get straight to business. Because the next scene after Superman yelling is... Even though it goes on forever, is Batman finding Aquaman?
2: Yeah, and um, the when you first see Batman in the theatrical version, that scene that is all new to the theatrical version of um, Batman, like foiling some robbery, and uh, it was kind of interesting to see this, you know, this burglar, whatever he was, played by Holt McCallany, I think his name is, who I recognized from the Netflix show Mindhunter. Um, uh, and he just kind of puts him out there as bait for a parademon to show up. And I was like, that's kind of messed up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is really
2: dark. Yeah. Um, I like, yeah, I like the introductions of pretty much all the characters better in the in the Snyder version. Um, Wonder Woman's is pretty much the same, although there's, you know, there's a lot more of it <laughs> in the, the Zack Snyder version. And I will say that... Uh, The scene where that introduces Wonder Woman, where she's stopping, you know, this terrorist thing where they're going to blow up this bomb at museum or whatever it is, Um, certainly a lot more violent and, like, you know, um, at different times throughout throughout the Snyder Cut, you see like a body will get thrown against a wall or a rock or something, and there'll be a smear of blood, (laughs) you know, as it's sliding down, and like, yep, that guy's dead, you know, and it's just treated like really casually which is fine like you know they don't have to stop and acknowledge you know oh i just took a life there like every single time but it seems a little to me at least pointed in the snyder cut like look man people can die <laughs> right Right.
1: Yeah. I, well yeah i think mm-hmm. they're upping the stakes I mean, yeah. wonder woman decapitates steppenwolf and i don't know if you saw these pictures of like what the kind of like the original like concept ideas for uh Wonder Woman like way back in the day Snyder it's like him her standing with like a bunch of human heads like <laughs> right there like it's crazy way too dark and I don't know anything about Wonder Woman but it seems like he's supposed to represent like the very best of humanity
2: something like that yeah yeah, she's. A, I mean, she's a tough character because she's like a warrior for peace, <laughs> basically, which yeah. is, which is an oxymoron. You right.
0: Know? Yeah, there's a fine line on the because uh, I I, I think I like my comic book stuff a little, a little towards the, on the darker side, and I think a lot of that has to do with being a kid and watching like GI Joe, and like uh, being frustrated that, you know, nobody ever died, and of course nobody should die like in a, in a cartoon for middle schoolers, you know, yeah. which is what it was. <laughs> But as a middle schooler who was getting older, like, okay, yeah, another parachute comes up. Like, there's no plane that ever crashes without the parachute escaping. So I, I kind of, when they cut, when a movie cuts to, um, you know, just letting us think that something might have happened versus actually seeing it like i tend to like to see it <laughs> even if it's you know but i don't want there's a fine line you know
2: no i it's certainly and I, I agree with you and I, I was a big fan of gi joe when you know when the cartoon was coming on in afternoons when i'd get home from school gi
0: joe then transformers <laughs>
2: yeah and um um uh, it's it even then it seemed ridiculous to me that like sort of the same thing with the stormtroopers and star wars like one of the requirements seems to be that you can't shoot. Right, right <laughs> That you right, can't right. hit what you're shooting at. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you could see a guy try, uh, training, you know, trying out for Cobra, and he's hitting, like, the center of the target. You're like, nope, sorry. <laughs> right, right. We can't use you. We've got another division <laughs> that will put you up.
0: This is a
1: little <laughs> bit of a of a tangent, but I remember watching the one of the episodes of Community kind of does a parody of G.I. Joe, and I remember thinking, oh, you'd love that, because it makes fun of the whole, like, the parachutes always come out of the plane, and no one ever dies. I need to see that episode.
2: Yeah, I just I just saw that uh for the second time recently, did a a second watch through of community. So yeah. Um I really enjoyed that.
0: Uh what are some of the changes that you particularly liked on this version?
1: Um actually this is kind of not your question, but it is related to your question. <laughs> there was something that I thought would be changed that wasn't. And that is kind of a bit of Flash's humor. I mean, some of it doesn't work in the first one, but I was really worried that like it wouldn't. They would be like all serious. Like Zack Snyder would be like, "This is a this is an adult superhero film," and like it's gonna have no comedy. But I'm glad they you know they kept some of the some of the Flash stuff. Or I guess not capped. I'm glad it was originally uh, still pretty
0: humorous. Yeah, how did you feel about Flash?
2: Yeah, um. Again, I, I feel like the scene where we're introduced to him in the Snyder Cut, um, really long. <laughs> not entirely necessary. Like um, That's
1: like 30. I mean, it's like 30 minutes of him saving Iris from the car.
2: Yeah. Um, not my favorite interpretation of the character. Obviously very different from the TV show with Grant Gustin. But um, like I say, you know, it's valid. Uh, I... I liked him more as a character here this time. Uh, He was more grating for whatever reason when I first saw the theatrical cut in the theater, um, which is a strange thing to say. Right. (laughs) Um, um, But for whatever reason, even though, like, there's one really on-the-nose scene where, you know, when he and Cyborg are, like, in the graveyard digging up the coffin that Superman is in, and it's funny that it's just in a regular cemetery somewhere, and it's not like, you know, wherever that big monument is with all the names of the, the fallen people that we see later. Um, it's just in a shady little, you know, cemetery with no security whatsoever. Well, I,
1: I think, kind of addressing that, I think it's brought up in BVS that, like, the body in Superman's resting place is not a real thing, and that's supposed to be done by Mar. That's, like, supposed to be Clark Kent, not oh, Superman.
2: Oh, good point. Thank you. Yes, um, <laughs> I'm embarrassed that I didn't make that connection. But um, there's a point in that scene where um, where uh, Barry Allen says something like, oh, "We're the outsiders," <laughs> or something like that. And it's like, uh, uh, did you really need to put a button he, like, on like, it? Like, yeah. <laughs> like I think they got it. Yeah. But I I, I do like him. Um, I think those two characters, Batman and Cyborg, benefit the most from from this movie, you know, from this version. Yeah, they get a lot more to do. Um, the flash and the climax in the theatrical version um, is pretty much just like saving civilians where um, at the end here in the Snyder Cut, um, like you were saying about Cyborg, he's much more consequential, you know, um, the whole like kind of rewinding time every uh, and everything so that... Um, so that they can get to that moment where they throw (laughs) Steppenwolf's head at Darkseid's feet. And it's just such a funny thing to say about a superhero movie. Um, (laughs) You know, he gets a lot more to do and not, you know, not everything about his character, like, really landed with me or you know, I didn't necessarily appreciate um, his goofiness throughout, but it needed, you know, the movie needs some of that. I actually... So all, like, the the quips and the, the kind of jokey moments that Joss Whedon put in, that, uh, and I think that the studio wanted to make it feel slightly less dark and more like a, uh, an MCU movie, Um I could, on the one hand, I could see how that was, it, that made for a very disjointed movie, you know, and, like, it couldn't settle on a tone. But uh, uh, at the same time, on the other hand, I feel like it needed some of those moments, and I actually appreciated some of them, like when Superman throws Batman and Ben Affleck's on the ground. Like, oh yeah, something's bleeding. <laughs> yeah, <You know, laughs> like um, totally not a thing Batman would say, you know. But I laughed out loud, you know, watching it this time. Yeah, like like you need some of that release valve, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, that scene, that scene, they changed a decent amount of, you know, and in the moment before where he does casually toss him aside. I really enjoyed that movie in the, th- I mean, that port part in the theatrical release. And I also like the fact that Batman had planned to have Lois Lane come in knowing he might need him versus it being just a coincidence.
2: Right. Yeah. When uh, he says, Alfred, we need the big guns. And then the car show. Yeah. I yeah. like that part, too, because that is a thing, the an aspect of Batman uh, that you see over and over again in the comics is that he plans for every contingency, you know, and there's conflict between him and superman because he keeps some kryptonite on hand just in case (laughs) you know that sort of thing yeah Yeah.
0: so i those changes i didn't really that's that's one of the few that i would say i like the theatrical release part kind of better and uh, the humor too i i appreciated the flash's humor still being there i also missed um i missed the moment when aquaman is like sitting on wonder woman's rope and getting very <laughs> emotional like you know i wish it was like a lot shorter but i i did i did enjoy that moment in the theatrical release and kind of missed having it here
2: yeah that would um yeah that clearly um i guess because like zack snyder didn't use anything of joss whedon's like he he it's all the stuff that he shot or, or you new know new shots too, or like. new shots yeah um so I wasn't surprised that that didn't make the cut. And I can understand that, you know, some people didn't like that. But I, I, I really chuckled <laughs> seeing that. Um, I don't remember what I thought about it the first time. But on the rewatch, I was like, you know, I, it, it totally t- caught me by surprise. I was like, what's with Aquaman getting all emo all of a <laughs> yeah, sudden? <exactly. laughs> like, oh, haha, that's funny.
0: Uh, yeah, I like Jason Momoa's performance. In, in both of them, but I, I thought his character is treated better in this one. And he's a little less bro which I appreciate oh, I, in I, the Snyder Cut.
1: This kind of adds to the broiness. and I mentioned this before, but I feel it's worth mentioning again from the amount that makes my blood boil. <laughs> the, the scene where, you know, after he you know saves the person in the boat and, like, slow motion, the music's playing. He's got the beer. Oh, yeah. He's got a lot of muscles. He's about to take off his shirt. He's throwing down the bottle. I don't know why you would litter when you live in the ocean. I don't know why that's a poor aspect of it. And then he like takes off the shirt. It's just so it is so like broy and like so
0: cool. Yeah, I thought it looked cool, but again when he throws the bottle in the ocean, I'm like, he would not do that. <laughs> <laughs> of course we litter all the time, it's our planet, so we're trashing it, so maybe maybe he would.
2: Yeah, um listeners you can't see this, but uh yeah, they're they're just both of the owls are just Throwing stuff right and left (laughs) uh, into their backyard—it's—it's,
0: and somehow we're doing it in slow motion. Yeah, (laughs) it's pretty cool. Uh, But so, uh, this movie is—it's the same plot basically, right? But we've got the additions of some backstory with Steppenwolf. We know what his MacGuffin is. We know why he's doing his things. It
2: makes a lot more sense. It makes so much more sense knowing
0: that. But there's still still Batman and Wonder Woman trying to recruit the Justice League and then it's them trying to stop Steppable from getting the Mother Boxes. And I, I, I have very little grasp on what the Mother Boxes are, really, compared to, and I guess I help, can't help but compare it because that's really the only two things I have, uh, with the Infinity Stones. Like, I feel like they did a great job of explaining what the Infinity Stones are, and I don't fully understand the Mother Boxes or this life equation. Is that a, what it was called? The, the anti-life, life equation. anti-life, yeah. anti-life <laughs> equation. Not the death equation, but the anti-life <laughs> equation. <laughs>
2: Um, no, I would agree with you. The um, the mother boxes are poorly served um, in both versions of the movie. And I, I don't know exactly what they're supposed to be. And I think that they wanted something that could be like the Infinity Stones, some kind of MacGuffin, you know, that... Um, that for, Some kind of MacGuffin that, for whatever reason, you know, you've got to stop them before they all get together. Um, I will say in the comics... Um, Mother boxes are kind of like these, um, in a way, and this is a oversimplification, but they're like sentient smartphones, kind of like um, they're much smaller, like you can hold them in your hand and um, they have some connection to the source, I believe, which is um, the kind of great mystical energy in this mythology, which is not just similar to the force <laughs> in mm-hmm. Star Wars. Um, and, you know you can use them to like change your appearance and get all of these other things. And they're kind of like, they're kind of like, um, a writer's get out of jail free card. Well, Oh, well he can (laughs) use the mother box to do this and that. Uh, but, um, but in the movie they're just these big unwieldy, you know, plot contrivances. (laughs) And even in the Snyder cut, you don't know exactly, you know, um, um, why it's those three things getting together that creates the unity and what a what a dramatic villainous name for something that is yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, it's it's all it's all very um, poorly conceived or at least poorly executed. Yeah. yeah.
1: How did you feel about the uh, the anti life equation stuff? Because that was wasn't really mentioned, and that obviously goes into like setting up the sequels that at the time in which the original Justice League was coming out, Warner Brothers had already scrapped plans to do those things yeah and i know the end of life equation i know nothing about it i was hoping you could try to explain something about that but i know it's a it's a pretty big part of Darkseid's whole deal in the
2: yeah comics. in the comics yeah he is continually searching for that and it is basically the means by which he can um control people's minds and enslave humanity or whatever his goal is depending on you know what writer uh, is is writing whatever story that he's popping up in um and it's a little, it's a little heady and kind of hand wavy. Um, so uh, I'm, uh, I like those stories a lot, even though um, they're kind of weird. Uh, um, but I can't claim to be a super dark side New Gods expert, you know. Um, but again, that you know is. Not served very well uh, in either version. Of the, well, it's not brought up in the theatrical version at all, is it? I, I no. don't think no, so. Yeah, um, yeah, it's not. It's not explained very well in the comics. I mean, in the in the Snyder cut. Now I feel like they throw it in there just so they could say, "Hey, look, fans. You know, we know what the you know we know what the anti-life equation is. You know, we know what mother <laughs> yeah. boxes are. You know, maybe not. They may mean they may not be the exact same thing that you're used to. But you know, we're trying." <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. I definitely don't have a feel for who Darkseid is, nor do I have any respect or fear from him. And and that maybe looks... that's because of the, the not having anything from the comics. But also, I think, like the way they introduced him is, you know, we have this flashback of when back in the day, the men and, you know, the Atlanteans. Is that right? Yeah. How do you pronounce that? Atl- Atlanteans. And the whatever the Wonder Woman people, and the, the one Green Lantern, and <laughs> the one Green Lantern, the guy. Amazons, yeah, yeah, the Amazons, and they all come together and fight, men, and it's Vikings, whatever, it's all great. Uh, but they defeat him, like, that's our, our first introduction to Darkseid, is him kind of getting his butt kicked, yeah. And I it's, it's like hard to, um, as opposed to like my first real memory of Thanos. I mean, we had the little flashes, touches at the end of things, is like Thanos just like really beats up Hulk who they've been building up for 20 movies as, you know, just being the Hulk and being yeah. like, you know, almost unstoppable. And Thanos just really whips him. Um, uh, so I think that's a much better effect if you're going to have your big bad, show him first off being big and bad instead of like running away.
2: And we have no context for dark side in this movie, except that he's some mysterious, big, you know, space tyrant. Um, in the comics, like, it sets up a whole mythology right away, and Darkseid has this kind of other half, this, um, you know, this good guy named Highfather who's sort of, you know, um, who's like a, you know, an old white male with a long beard and a robe and sandals and all this, and, you know, there's a very kind of Christian imagery that goes with that. Um, and I, But I'm getting off the point, which is that you're given context. Like, Darkseid is part of this mythology you know this this pantheon this world you know and you see he's in opposition to something rather than here he's just an unstoppable um except that he was stopped you know he's just you know this very formidable you know mean badass looking guy you know um who wants to control everyone for some unknown reason
1: yeah i mean the the feel kind of that you get from watching Sex Snyder's Justice League if you, like, don't know anything about Darkseid, which I very, know very little about Darkseid. It's kind of, he's like a space emperor type thing. Like, Dasad yeah. is like, you have to conquer, like, a thousand or a, a certain incredibly large amount of worlds. And that kind of, it gives you the feel that he's just, like, emperor of the universe.
2: It, it looks very much like... They needed to have their version of Thanos. They're like, Thanos works well. What do we have that's similar to that? Well, we have Dark Side, um, but you know, they're different characters, <laughs> you know. And yeah, and what the MCU does really well is, you know, you you know why Thanos is doing what he's doing in Infinity War. Like, uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say that he's um, sympathetic, but he has a reason for it, and it's just like. <laughs> It's just like Killmonger in the Black Panther movie, like they're completely convinced by the rightness of what they're doing. Like in their minds, they're the hero in a way, even though they know that what they're doing, you know, what they're doing is unpopular. Darkseid is just a one-note. I've got to conquer everything, and that's that's really boring. No matter how, quote unquote, cool you make him look, and we, you know, that's arguable. Um, (laughs) Yeah,
0: I thought Desaad is it Desaad or Desaad, but looked cooler and the whole that stone and morphing into the stone kind of thing. I, I, I like that. He looked cooler than, than dark side to me.
2: Yeah. And Dasad is um like in the comics, he's like a guy wears like, um he's, he's a torturer and, you know, he doesn't have this weird kind of alien face and he wears like this um, red, maybe almost pinkish kind of cloakish robe thing, you know? Um, and, this is this is just like um, an alien that looks kind of like Steppenwolf that has the name Desad. <laughs> like, there's not a whole lot of there's not a whole lot to distinguish him.
0: Gotcha. Um, what else do we want to bring up? We're getting about about the time. Um, I think I mean, this is this is kind
1: of a general comic book question. I mean, Zack Snyder is known for this like darkness, like in your comic book adaptations or just in your comic books do you prefer a more you know light tone and dark tone I know different you know subject matter comes with different things but generally
2: um well like like Michael was saying earlier like I can see the appeal of, of grim stuff um but there needs to be a balance like I really enjoyed uh The Dark Knight Returns the Frank Miller book that kind of takes you know the kind of dark knight detective version of batman to the nth degree um, and i you know when i first read that i really got off on it and i was like man this is so cool but the thing about that and watchmen that you know that i think other people failed to grasp is that um, there's more to it than just the fact that you know oh he's he's a real badass you know he he hurts people and you know and he he talks in these, like, guttural whispers and, you know, um, and just has this menacing air, like, okay, yeah, there is that, you know, and, yeah, he can, you know, this is a Batman who maybe shoots people or, you know, beats people up a lot more, okay, fine, but, you know, without character behind it, you know, and without some kind of something to balance the tone, you know, having a Superman or a Wonder Woman, you know, to sort of show the other side of, of that equation. Um, it gets tiresome really fast.
0: Yeah, it gets, one, it gets very one <laughs> note, or, or certainly can. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the epilogues. Or oh. epilogue. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and again, because grading on a curve, because, I, you know, if this was, you know, if nothing, if the tragedy hadn't happened with Zack Snyder's daughter, right. and he was able to release... I imagine it would be let's call it a three-hour movie, two and a half. to three hours, um, I think a lot of the stuff in the epilogue probably wouldn't have happened. But again, this is kind of fan service or showing what could have happened or what, what might have happened has you know the, the three movies actually uh, occurred.
2: Yeah, hinting at what you're not going to get, but you could have.
0: Right, which and I, but I kind of get it as a filmmaker, like as, you know, if he's shot this and no one's ever going to see it, he wants to be like, see, see, this has have been really cool. Uh, I'm just curious, what what did y'all think of the epilogues and you know, did they add to the film as a whole? Should, he have, should they have been included? Or were they DVD bonuses or that kind of thing?
1: I, I I like the idea of like the nightmare scene, even though it is a lot of like, wait, Aquaman's dead? Wait, Lois Lane's dead? But I kind of do like the the kind of setting up what what, uh, what could have come and it's kind of like uh injustice storyline based like i could be well because that's like yeah. when lois lane dies and superman goes
2: yeah so you, you're evil. familiar with that video game i'm guessing
1: uh yeah i think i would watched a couple you know like, analyze actually i do remember one time a really long like ago i sat for like five hours straight on like a comic explained of like the entire like first volume of okay, the Injustice yeah. storyline
0: i'm not familiar with the video game
1: oh it's a. Uh, I think we've played it. I think. Oh, really? It. Yeah, yeah. It right. It's made by the Maybe did d- d- the, the the Mortal Kombat games.
0: Is it a like a PlayStation game or is it like a it's like, like an arcade game?
1: It's like a PlayStation game. Okay, but I kind of I like the idea of uh, hinting at that storyline. One thing I do not like is Jared Leto's Joker. Yeah, so. um, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: I'm I'm with you on that. Like, so there's a video game called Injustice, and um, I haven't played it, you know, uh, but um, I bel- if, I, if I'm getting my facts straight, the Joker kills Lois Lane, Superman kind of snaps, it goes dark, becomes a sort of authoritarian tyrant, um, and all the other heroes kind of live in fear of him and are like gone underground. And I would watch a movie based on that with some of the elements of what's in that nightmare scene. Um, but yeah, um, the minute Jared Leto's Joker shows up, I'm like, oh, I'm out. Never mind. I take it all back.
0: <laughs> at least they changed his look. The like, he looked better to me. Yeah. Than, I don't.
1: I don't know if I agree. I I don't. I like the lack of tattoos, but I, I kind of like the the suited look he had in Suicide Squad rather than like the long hair. It looks like he's like failed at eating a meatball
0: sub with the <laughs> makeup on the lips. Yeah. I just think taking the tattoos away is enough Is enough of a victory for me.
2: I Between that and...
1: Um, but but how do we know he's damaged if he doesn't have it yeah. on his forehead?
2: Between that and the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie, um, I really need a break from the Joker. Yeah. Uh, I could go a good 10 years without seeing the Joker on any kind of screen.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I did like the, you know, the don't send a the boy wanted to do a man's job and kind of like in BVS, we saw like the whole, whole Jokerized Batman suit. And that's kind of like the, the murder of Jason Todd. Right. So I, I I mean, I, I like the hints, even though we're never going to give them, I just, the execution of that scene felt so weird.
0: Okay. What about the, uh, what about Martian Manhunter, uh, embodying or, you know, looking like, one of the Marthas <laughs> and then appearing at the end to uh, Bruce Wayne. How did y'all feel about that? What is that <laughs> I'm sure I didn't get all the references in, involved in that.
2: Um, the scene where he pretends to be Martha Kent to talk uh, Lois Lane into kind of getting back out there in the world. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> that scene would work just as well if we don't see her turn into him at the end and it adds nothing to the scene later where Martian Manhunter is talking to Bruce Wayne, like that scene works perfectly fine by itself the way it is. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah. Like the whole reveal of Martha Kent, uh, of Martian Manhunter as Martha Kent. Yeah. It is just a head scratcher for me. I like that actor, Harry Lennox. I know him primarily from the TV show, The Blacklist with James Spader. Um, and I believe he was in Man of Steel. If yeah, I he was seeing. in Man of Steel yeah.
1: and BVS. Although so he has yeah. very minor roles, like so right. much so that like, when like, but the world needs Lois Lane too. I was like, okay. You know <laughs> that from your five interactions with her? Yeah.
2: The, um, the interaction between him and Bruce Wayne in the, in the epilogue, I think is fine, you know, and kind of hints at, you know, Here's another character that uh, you could have seen more of and maybe seen done in a, in a way that um, uh, softens the ridiculousness of a character named the Martian Manhunter who's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, this big green bald guy. You know, yeah. like I, I, I was willing to go with that, but, you know, so. I gotcha.
1: Although I do feel like that kind of scene. I mean, I know it's like it's already like four hours long. But that does need a little bit of like a who are you? Yeah. kind of thing <laughs> it's like if i was bruce wayne and like i just spent the movie fighting aliens i have spent the last two movies i was in fighting aliens and then another alien pops down on my door i'd be i'd be a little uh concerned. and i know like you know comics people get it and i'm not quite familiar with who the martian manner is i know a little bit from the episodes of supergirl that i could bear but, like i feel like that does need a little bit like if i was a like a person who knew nothing i'd be like who are you, and why do you matter, and why do you why do you care about the Earth? We've seen you in two scenes and yeah. a couple other ones from the previous movies.
2: Uh, my thing is more like, um, like, if you're Bruce Wayne, who is Batman, you know, and this guy just shows up, you know, on your on your patio right. you know, <laughs> of your penthouse, and and he's just sort of kind of gamely going along with it, like, who are you, and like,
0: you <laughs> right, know, exactly,
2: like. <laughs> I feel like this guy who is Batman would be a lot more, you know, a lot more gruff and guarded and like, you need to explain what you're doing here right now. Right.
0: And a security system might be better than just like yeah. him, him barefoot or whatever. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, yes. like nobody seems to notice or care. Right. Uh, was that it on the epilogues was it those was there was uh
1: there was the kind of the version of the scene in the theatrical cut where they set up like the, the the legion of doom but in this case it's setting up the open athletic batman movie that's uh, never gonna happen and having death is the villain of that and oh, i think they yeah, also the yacht yeah i think they also do something with a uh, ryan choy
2: yeah um and you don't see him at all in the theatrical cut. So the, you know, and you don't get his name until the very end. He's just this guy that works with um, is it Silas Stone, Cyborg's father. Um, and eventually, I think at, at the end, you know, it takes over the lab where they work.
1: And like he becomes the Atom.
2: Yeah, right? a oh. version of the Atom. Yeah, like not the first person to wear the mantle of the Atom, but he becomes an. Atom, I guess. Yeah, the only
1: the only the reason I recognize Ryan Choi is like the whole Crisis on Infinite earth Airverse. Yeah, crossover and him being like the stupid paragon of humanity. <laughs> I really, I, I miss gr- that. I yeah. remember being incredibly annoyed by that.
0: It sounds like hey, Hank thinks you didn't you didn't you didn't miss much. Yeah, no. uh, yeah, I kind of agree with Hank on that one. Um, I don't know, I think that wraps it up for Justice League for me, but I, I do want to ask you what your uh, Oh, can I, I got one more thing, and it's similar, <laughs>
2: I'm sorry, I apologize No, just getting, keep, just say He's before. like Columbo, he's like, I feel just, like you're just waiting, one more thing You're waiting
0: <laughs> for me to wrap it up, and then adding one, so just go ahead and add it before I start wrapping it up
1: Okay, okay <laughs> um, And I, I touched on this at the beginning, and actually you've all really touched on this, so cu- cut me off if the question feels unnecessary But uh, some of the kind of negatives i see when people talking about snyder is he doesn't really get what these characters are all about like with rorschach and him being kind of this cool ba uh uh, character when in the graphic novel he's pretty you know sad and clearly has some issues going on there yeah the
2: whole point is is he's messed up that people who decide to put on a costume and and beat up other people you know um, that there's something really wrong with them yeah not not the role model yeah
1: and then he's like something bad happened I'm gonna go beat up the poor people see if they know anything (laughs) (laughs) Um, and also with kind of Superman kind of the dark Superman and do you kind of agree with that or I know you said like different versions are completely fine that's a very good opinion to have like, do you kind of agree with that Snyder doesn't really get characters like Superman or Wonder Woman or Batman?
2: Um, I, I I don't think it's an all or nothing thing. There, there are things that I think he does get. Um, uh, but um, I would say that, like, even going back to Man of Steel, his Superman isn't like, isn't what I think of when I think of Superman. Um, Henry Cavill does a fine job and you know he looks good in the part um, but um, his Superman is a little too broody for me you know and um, not even to get into the whole you know breaking Zods neck thing um, which it just seems like a, a poor storytelling choice to put him in that situation um, but uh, yeah I would say um He thinks he gets Batman, like, for sure, I think. Um, And there's a, you know, I think there's a fan base that really connects with him because of that kind of thing. Um, The whole reason that, you know, released the Snyder Cut became such a hashtag and became such a sensation is because there's there's a whole segment of the populace who are like, really responded to the darker elements of his earlier movies and didn't like the attempts in the theatrical version to kind of lighten those which um you know we could say the execution was flawed but i think that the intent was good that it needs some lightening is you know um i don't know if that completely answers your question like um i i you know i can't sit here and tell you that he doesn't know anything about Superman, that he gets Superman 100% wrong, but... Well,
1: no, he wouldn't be in the position. He has a feat. <laughs> yeah.
2: But, um, you know, like... His... Yeah, his, the best I could put it is his version is not my version. And, like I said earlier, there, there's room for both of those to exist. Uh, and But, yeah, at the end of the day, like... I don't know. I don't think I, I have a pithy way to put a cap on
0: that. <laughs> Did... Uh... Has the popularity of these superhero movies... Has that been beneficial to comic books or detrimental or neutral? Or is it too general of a question?
2: Um, it's probably a good thing in that um, it increases awareness. Uh, I don't know that it drives that, much, that many more readers to superhero comics. Um, uh, I feel like in some ways... So, like, Guardians of the Galaxy, for instance, um, the book that it's based on, which came out uh, in the late 2000s, or maybe around 2010, um, not the first iteration, not the first group to be called the Guardians of the Galaxy, but um, I really liked the book, so I was excited about the movie, and the movie takes some liberties, like the character of Star-Lord is completely different, um, and, you know, that's fine, but... The thing is, is that um, the comics tend to take a lot of their cues from the movies now, because the movies are where a lot of these people know these characters. I was wondering about that. Yeah, so um, so in a lot of books now, Tony Stark, you know, is clearly more modeled more on the Robert Downey Jr. version of the character. Um, uh, Star Lord, now you know. It's actually changing now in the current Guardians of the Galaxy comic, but for a long time, the uh, Star Lord in Guardians of the Galaxy was basically Chris Pratt. I was blanking on his name for a split second. Um, so yeah, it's a trade-off. Um, uh, but like on the whole, like I feel, I feel like it can't hurt. You know, like I said, it draws more. It drives it. it creates more awareness of these characters and these properties Um, but I don't know that it has helped the bottom line of superhero comics any and I think that in both the case of Marvel and DC uh, I think an argument can be made that their parent companies are keeping them alive solely as you know IP machines that can be turned into movies and TV shows and things like that rather than you know for any uh, fondness for the, the, you know, the medium, or the medium, or, or, or the characters, you know, on their own, yeah.
0: Uh, is there been a movie that has done the comic book transition very well that you think that you liked?
2: I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they have. Like, um, like the the first Iron Man movie. It's a more heightened version of Tony Stark from the comics, but. Um, It works really well, you know, and the fact that that you know a C-list character, you could argue in the comics at the time, let's say B-list, becomes a foundation for a whole multi-gajillion-dollar franchise, like is like almost inconceivable. Like you know, really on you know on the back of Iron Man of all people, you know, but that just goes to point to like what an incredible performance. Robert Downey Jr. gives in that. Um, I would I would say yes. uh, Like, there's always going to be differences, but like the first two X Men movies, I think capture a lot of things about the X Men really well. So,
0: gotcha. Hank, any other questions? We we have our comics expert here. No, I will. uh, I will let you wrap things up,
2: (laughs) Uh, Kevin. Thank you. But wait, no. (laughs) (laughs) One more thing. One more thing.
0: Kevin, thank you for being here and joining us. We do a segment at the end of uh, our podcast called "What Are You Reading." Uh, it is exactly what it
2: sounds like. <laughs> I'm familiar. Yeah. What are you reading? Um, so, I'm a, a, I'm about a quarter of a way through The Institute by Stephen King, uh-huh. um, which has a premise that is not dissimilar to something like the X Men. Uh, It's basically about kids who have telepathic or telekinetic abilities who are captured by this uh, research facility, you know, and kind of dragged away from their homes and um, kind of held as prisoners uh, for some nefarious purpose that we don't, you know, at least where I am in the book isn't 100 percent clear yet. Um, And I'm a big fan of Stephen King. And yeah, so I like that a lot. I'm also um, I know that. Uh, you talk about audiobooks in this segment uh, a good bit. Um, I'm currently listening to Do You Feel Like I Do, which is the memoir of the rock star Peter Frampton, oh. um, which is interesting because, like, I'm not particularly a fan of his. I don't have anything against him, but I recently finished Confess, which was the memoir of Rob Halford, the singer for Judas Priest. And I was riding a high and I was like, all right, what else have we got? That's similar. <laughs> Peter Frampton, sure, I'm curious. Yeah, I'll I'll bite. Um, And I'm a big fan of um, rock musician memoirs and autobiographies in general. Um, I really like getting, you know, kind of behind-the-scenes looks into those worlds, not because of the sex and drugs and all of that, but, you know, um, um, it's interesting to see, for example, like... um, So in the 70s, Peter Frampton releases this live album... You know, and he's he's doing okay as a solo artist. Suddenly, Frampton comes alive is the biggest record in the world and the biggest selling record of all time at that time. And you know, and how on earth does he follow that up? And that like really becomes an albatross for his career for a long time because you know there's no way he can live up to that phenomenon that he became. And right. that kind of thing is really interesting to me. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's pretty fascinating. Oh. Yeah. Are there any in that genre that you recommend? I'm putting you on the spot, so don't, you know. Um don't worry about it if you can't. I really
2: like the Rob Halford one um I think it's called Late Late at Night which is a uh, Rick Springfield oh, wow. of all people who like, you know, I liked okay, you know, I I knew I knew the hits. Yeah. You know, I'd seen him on TV and different things. Um wasn't someone that I, you know, had strong feelings about <laughs> one way or the other, but um really enjoyed that one as well. Um if that's all that like comes to mind you know in the heat of the moment but. did
0: you do the uh, the Motley Crue documentary
2: the, the Netflix thing no no the dirt um, uh, I actually um, my friends were loving that I haven't seen it I enjoyed um, the audiobook of the Heroin Diaries which is uh, a, a memoir by Nikki Six of Motley Crue that you know charts a specific uh, point in time and kind of his, his struggle with uh, substance abuse um, but Um, I've, I haven't brought my, I haven't been able to bring myself to read or listen to the dirt yet because like, I know that there's a lot of unsavory stuff in those, in those people's backgrounds. And like, um, I'm just for whatever reason, I'm just not there yet. Like (laughs) I like, it's not like I hold any of them up as role models, like far from it. But like, um, I don't know that I need to get that entrenched in like seeing or hearing about them abusing women and substances you know and each other and all of these things maybe not the
0: ride you want to go on
2: yeah exactly Um, like at some point I probably will but like it's not like it's not a huge priority (laughs) I hear that Uh,
0: what's next for the comics canon
2: Um, our next episode is on a book called Justice League International from the uh, from the mid late 80s uh, which is You know, it's kind of our way of tying into the Snyder Cut. Um, And the funny thing about it is that it is completely different. Um, It is um, a rare book that in this era where The Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen were both, you know, still new and very popular and laying this grim and gritty groundwork that would, you know, um, carry over into the 90s for sure for, you know, in terms of um, the tone of superhero comics. Whereas this was like a lighthearted, um, humorous, almost madcap um, approach to the Justice League. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of getting into, like really digging into that and the way it's so different from everything else that's going on at the time.
0: Oh, very, very cool. Hank, anything else? No, I uh, think that's good. good. I think that's good. All right, Kevin, thanks again for being on the show. Uh, (laughs) On behalf of all three of us, uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, Until we meet again. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Owls on Culture podcast. Our theme music was recorded and assembled by Marine Sersier and Antoine Flamme. The show is produced by Pinecone Turkey. To learn more about Pinecone Turkey, visit pineconeturkey.com, where you can read the latest blog posts from the Owls on Culture hosts, and sign up for The Flock email. A a twice-a-month newsletter that delivers a short film, poetry, short story, and visual art right to your inbox. It's your monthly dose of art curated by Pinecone Turkey. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by leaving us a rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening.